get to have one of the conclusions of a verse-by-verse study. As for the last 21 weeks, we've been going verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter through the book of Deuteronomy. And today is the grand conclusion uh, of our study in the book of Deuteronomy. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, pull them out uh, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, An interesting way to close a book by starting at the beginning. Um, But there's a song that says that's a very good place to start. And so that's how we're going to start this morning's message. This is what it says, verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. In Arba, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezroth, and Dizahab. Let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, your word cuts through the bone and the marrow into the soul and into our spirit and reveals to us the motives and the intents of our hearts. God, we thank you that you are at work uh, in, in, in your church. You are at work with your people, God, and you use your word, uh, the, 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 the living scriptures that we have, God, you use those uh, to grow us in our faith. Uh, God, to build us up in that most holy faith. Uh, God, you use your word to speak to us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to transform us. God, we pray that this morning as we look at your word, God, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, we would be inspired. God, we know that the children of Israel and their exodus from Egypt, uh, God, they serve as an example each and every one of us in our own personal exoduses from sin, from separation from you. God, as we put our faith in you, we are moving into the promises that you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see the stories, we would hear the text, and we would be transformed from the inside out. So, God, we just thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take the previous 20 weeks. We're going to condense them down into a 35-minute recap of everything. We're going to look at all the highlights. How many of you, it's, it's sports season. I really don't watch football much anymore, but I still know what it is. Um, and how many of you know, uh, if you don't have time to watch all the games, you can catch Sports Center in the evening. Okay, right, right, right. Uh, so this is going to be Sports Center of the Bible. Uh, no, Sports Center of Deuteronomy. It's going to be all the highlights of everything that we've looked at for the previous 20 weeks. Some life applications, some rich history, some deep theology. And hopefully what we can do is, as we started this series 21 weeks ago, doing a 30,000-foot flyover, this is the return flight, to use those airplane Uh, analogies. This is the return flight. So we're going to see a lot of things again from 30,000 feet, but we're going to take a different spin on them as we go through this morning's message. I want to set the stage just briefly uh, by reminding you that the children of Israel, we've said it almost every week, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt in this great event that was known as the Exodus. And they wandered around in the wilderness in a trip that should have only taken them seven days. 
It wasn't too long into that trip that they rebelled against Yahweh, the very Yahweh who had brought them out of Egypt, and they said, your way's cool, but our way's better. Uh, it didn't end up being better. Uh, it ended up with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then Deuteronomy picks up, and this is the second generation of Hebrews who had come out of Egypt. Because in these 40 years, the generation that was there in Egypt, the Bible tells us that they had passed away. And so now Moses is going to be giving the law to the children of Israel, the second generation. He's going to give it a second time. And he's going to be speaking to them the things of the Lord there on the threshold of the promised land. Now there's a geographical piece that we haven't talked about yet, but we're going to talk about now. There is a geographical body in between the children of Israel, where they are at in Deuteronomy, and where they are going to be moving forward. For anyone who loves, and your favorite book of the Bible is Maps, you can flip there, it's at the back. Uh, some of them have color, uh, those are my favorite. Um, you can look and you can see in the promised land, there is a body of water. It is known as the Jordan River. And the children of Israel, they are on a shore getting ready to cross. And we're going to see next week as we jump into our series through Joshua which we have aptly named Crossing the Jordan, uh, you are going to see what a life in the promised land is all about. And there's some correlations, not only for the children of Israel, but to us in the here and now today, our personal crossing into the Jordan, but we're going to get all that next week. But know that the children of Israel, they are on the precipice of going in to what God has prepared for them. Now, all that being said, we're going to zoom out. But we're going to zoom out more than just like 30,000 foot flyover. We're going to go to the International Space Station and we're just going to see the whole picture uh, from super far away. And then we're going to zoom ourselves back in. Uh, you may remember from a few weeks ago, uh, I threw up some graphics on the screen. Um, this is an image of uh, the Torah broken down by its literary structure. Uh, as the slide comes up, you're going to see these words are way too small uh, to read. That's totally okay, Josh. You can throw that up there. Uh, but this is the literary structure of the Torah. And so we have bookending the Torah, Genesis and Deuteronomy. And Genesis and Deuteronomy, they mirror one another. In between Genesis and Deuteronomy, we have Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. And they also form what is known in a literary style is a triad. You can actually go to the next screen there, Josh, as we, we have Exodus and Numbers zoomed in a little bit more. It forms this triad-like structure. And Moses and those who, who were making additions there to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Holy Spirit inspires them to use literary structures that were known at the time. And there's this symmetrical triad sort of structure. If you go to the next slide, this is what uh, the, the book of Genesis looks like when you apply this triad or, 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 or this uh, symmetrical triad to the book. We'll see that the book of Genesis breaks down into three distinct parts. 
The first parts is 1 through 11, which mirrors 49 and 50. We have blessings and the cursings in their history, and then blessings and cursings in their future. And they are going to bookend a story that's being told in between. The next part of that triad is uh, 12 through 25 and 25 through 48. There's the story of a new faith and the story of a new people. And at the center of all of this, we have the story of Israel being born. It's really cool. Genesis focuses everything to the birth of Israel and then reverse pans it back out to tell us this grand story. If you remember from just two slides ago, Genesis mirrors Deuteronomy. So as we look at the next screen here for Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is broken down in a similar manner to that of Genesis. Our first, the outer bookends, 1 through 11, Mirroring 27 through 34, blessings and cursings in history, blessings and cursings in the future. Then we have chapter 12 through 18, mirroring chapter 19 through 26 with rules for a new faith and rules for a new people. And then in the center of the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we have the messianic prophecy. So Deuteronomy, it's hyper-focusing in on a messianic prophecy and then reverse pans out to tell us the whole story. But what we like to do is we like to dig deep in God's word, so we're going to continue digging. Because not only does the book of Deuteronomy have this symmetrical triad literary design, each one of these sections can be further broken down into this literary triad. So we have chapters 1 through 11, where we uh, can see that chapters 1 through 3 mirrors 8 through 11. And I'm not going to go through all these because there's a lot to cover. Uh, but there's also some practical application that I want to take home this morning. But take pictures of this and remember that the book of Deuteronomy uh, has great structure. If we go to the next screen, we can see that there's a miniature triad that hones in and focuses on the feasts of Yahweh. Then 19 through 26, there's another mini triad that focuses in on the order within the camp. Yahweh is setting up his people for a purpose. And then as the book ends... Chapters 27 through 34 mirror that of Deuteronomy 1 through 11, focusing in on chapter 32, verses 8 and 9, that Israel is Yahweh's allotted portion. They are his chosen people. This is important. Because at the center and the, and the core purpose for this book is it is a... Uh, a teaching, an instruction, a motivation for the children of Israel as they are going to be going from their time in the wilderness into the promised land. But the promised land is, though it is flowing with milk and honey, it's not all happy. Um, it is a land that is roaming with giants. It is a land that is going to be brutal uh, because Israel is going to have to conquer and to subdue the land. And so they are going as a light into the darkness. And so Moses is preparing the hearts of the children of Israel, of the children of Israel to, to remind them they are Yahweh's portion. And they are going into the lands that Yahweh is not represented in. And they are to be God's representative to the people in the lands. What I want to do next is remind us as we are zooming in. Uh, even more, 30,000 feet above the book of Deuteronomy, that the book of Deuteronomy can be broken down into three distinct parts. 
If you remember the beginning of, of our series, and we've drawn attention to this throughout, the book of Deuteronomy is three parts. The first is it's the story of the past. Chapters 1 through 11, Moses is reiterating and telling the history of the children of Israel. He's reminding them of their time in Egypt and their time coming out of Egypt, their time in the wilderness. It was their past. The middle sections, chapter 12 through 26, is all about their presence. So we move from the past to the present, and Moses is instructing them the law, giving it to them again, letting them know, getting them trained and ready as they are about to move into the promised land. And the third part of Deuteronomy is the promise, chapters 27 through 34. You'll remember, and I think it's important for us to remember these things, the past, the present, and the promise. Remember those things as we look at the children of Israel and as we go through all the different parts of this morning's uh, study through in the highlight section of all the fun that has happened in this book. Because the past, the present, and the promise is going to relate back to you and I. So as we continue our study, let's look at some key moments. Josh, I think we've got some slides back there um, for, for the key moments in our study. The first is this, chapters 1 through 3, we have this picture of rebellion amidst victory. So the children of Israel, as they are making their way, it's been 38 years in captivity and we're at that final two years, they are going to face off against some kings, guys like Sihon and guys like Og. They're going to have great victory over these wicked Ammonites. But amidst all of the victory, there is great rebellion as the children of Israel are still in opposition to Yahweh. If you're taking notes this morning or if you're taking pictures of the screen, I want you to remember each of these points because we're going to come back to these points with a different perspective at the end of this morning's message. But rebellion, even when we are having victory. I think the next key points and the key moment in our study is chapter 4, this idea of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It is the greatest rally cry of the Hebrew people. It is their, it is their firm stance in monotheism that Yahweh is the only supreme God. He is the one who sits above it all, and we worship him and him alone. This was to be the thing that would shape the children of Israel. It was really the badge of honor that they had going into the promised land, into a land that was rife with paganism, that was, that was overflowing with polytheistic understandings. Israel was going in saying, our God is the true God, and our God is the only God worthy of worship. Remember that, as we'll come back to it in just a few moments. The next highlights was a call to the law. Moses is reminding the children of Israel in chapters 5 and 6 that they are a people not only chosen by God, but they are set apart in their law that Moses is about to reiterate to them is the thing that defines them as markedly different than all other cultures. Now, when we look at the structure of the law, the law is just a, another ancient Near Eastern law. There are similarities to the Code of Hammurabi. There are similarities to Assyrian and Hittite laws, but there's a difference. 
There's a being set apart about the law that Yahweh gives Israel, and that is that it focuses everything back to him. The other laws focused and tried to make humanity the center, but Israel's law points the picture back at the creator. The next key moment comes from chapter 7, where Yahweh makes this claim to the children of Israel that they are a chosen people. That he has a plan, that he has a purpose for this nation. He's not just calling them out because he heard their cry and then he's going to let them do whatever. No, he has a plan and a purpose for the children of Israel as they're coming out of, ex- uh, out of Egypt in the Exodus. And that this plan and this purpose is to reclaim the nations for the one true God. Because the earth, if you remember the story, in the book of Genesis, it was all God's. And, and, and the earth belonged to Yahweh, and all the peoples were meant to worship Yahweh, but the peoples of the earth rebelled against God. And so God said, do your own thing. But Israel is my portion. And Israel's plan and purpose was to bring all people back to Yahweh. The next key moment in our study comes from chapters 8 through 11, where God shows his way. And he gives consequences when when we do things man's way. And so chapters 8 through 11 uh, is, is this plea to the children of Israel. Hey, you've got your own way of doing it. You've got what seems right to you. Moses makes the plea. Can I tell you God's way is a better way? Um, any of us, do you think that could be something we could hear today? <laughs> God's way is a better way than ours? Um, yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. Some more key moments in our study. See what we're doing here. This is 34 chapters all condensed into a couple minutes. So there's a lot more to say, but we got to keep cruising. Chapter 12 through 14, uh, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives the children of Israel what true spiritual worship is. Breaking down how they are to worship God. The way that is proper. How not to worship God like the nations around them worship their gods. Next we'll see in chapters 15 and 16, the feasts of the Lord. Uh, Very purposeful feasts scheduled throughout the year to draw people's attention back to the creator. Uh, They had specific purpose for specific time, but we believe also they were prophetic and they have future fulfillments. Future for the children of Israel and the coming of Messiah. But in the prophetic timetable of things, some of those feasts have not been fulfilled. And so future fulfillment of those feasts for the church age. Probably a lot to say there. Uh, I have a lot to say. Pastor Dave has a lot to say. Pastor Kyle, Pastor Ed. And the beauty is, we already all preached through this. So you can go uh, catch those sermons on YouTube. The next key moments, 17 through 26, is what it means to be loyal to Yahweh. What life after God is all about. I've titled this, The Life of the Loyal. Israel was meant to have believing loyalty to God. They were going in as a people into a land that was populated by people who had a pantheons of God. 
uh, uh, like false deities that the people worshipped and made sacrifices to. And God was telling Israel, you are going to be seduced into following after these false gods. But do not be disloyal to me. Continue to have faith. Continue to be loyal. And Moses breaks down for the children of Israel what that would look like. The life of the loyal. He follows it up as he does with blessings and with cursings. Chapters 27 and 28. Moses reiterates to the children of Israel, hey, if you do all these things, the previous 27 chapters have been leading up to, if you do these things, it is going to be great for you. You're, you're going to multiply. Your crops, your harvest, they're going to be amazing. You're going to have economic success. You're going to have, like, great victory and conquest. Like, I will bless you. But if you don't do these things, it's going to be pretty bad. And there will be destruction. There will be heartache. There will be loss. There will be wars. There will be conflict. There will be strife. There will be famine. And Moses pleading on behalf of the Lord to the children of Israel, go the way of blessing, not the way of cursing. Chapter 29, we see a renewal of the covenants, these commitments that the children of Israel were making to the Lord. And Moses then yet again makes a plea back to the blessings and the cursings in chapter 30 as he gives Israel the choice. This is your choice. God's not going to make it for you. You can choose between life and you can choose between death. Choice is yours. And Moses encourages the children of Israel, life is a better option than death. How many of you would agree that uh, um, seeing bounty, seeing uh, 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 flourishing is a better thing than seeing blight and famine? Yeah. The next key moment comes in two chapters, 31 and 32. Some of these things that we're going to start talking about are going to sound very familiar if you've been here in the last three weeks. But chapters 31 and 32, Moses is now giving his final speech, his final sermon to the children of Israel. And he calls on them to remember the past. He gets them ready for the presence. And he instructs them and encourages them in what it looks like to run towards the promise. Again, past, present, and promise. And then chapter 33 through 34, we're going to look at the life of Moses at the tail ends, and we're going to see what it means to finish and to finish well. Moses, in his last, he will go up to Mount Nebo. If you were here last week, you'd remember this. He goes up to the mountain, and then he dies. His, his purpose is fulfilled. He ran his race in such a way as to win the prize. Now we look at all these 34 chapters and we give this semi-detailed breakdown of all the highlights and we do that on purpose. For the last 20 weeks we've looked at what these things meant to the children of Israel there nearly 3,500 years ago. And, 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 we, and we've tagged on to the end of every message a piece of practical life application. I know I personally have been encouraged as we've been going through this study, and I've heard from you that it's been encouraging as well. 
But what I want to do for the final minutes of this morning's message is I want to look at the 30,000-foot view of Deuteronomy. And what I want us to experience is the mirror effect. Paul tells the church in Corinth that now we see dimly, but then we will see in full. As we've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy, we've seen how from a broad picture, it is speaking to the children of Israel at a specific time with a specific plan. They were to go into the promised land. But what I want us to do is now take a look at the book of Deuteronomy as a lens by which we look at our own lives. And we see God's perfection. We serve a perfect God who structures things in some amazing ways. The first thing I want us to acknowledge as we look at Israel's past is that God has a plan. He had a plan for Israel. Israel might not have always understood God's plan. But God had a plan. Like the very fact that Israel was even in Egypt was a part of God's divine plan. He set things up. It's amazing. And so Israel's past was according to God's plan, and he was going to use that plan for his purpose. God has a purpose. He had a purpose for the children of Israel. Their purpose was to be light and darkness. And the last thing I would like to say, it's not the last thing ever, um, because this list could go on about God's perfection. Uh, but the last thing that I want us to focus on this morning is that God has a pattern. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, Pastor Matt, I see what you did there. Past, present, promise, plan, purpose, pattern. Talked about perfection. Yeah, the letter P is pretty cool. I just get the Sesame Street picture. Today's message brought to you by the letter P. Uh, but no, this is important. This is the mirror effect. Israel had a past, a present, and a promise. You and I, we have a past, a present, and a promise. If you would remember what Ephesians chapter 2 says, we were once dead in our sin and trespasses. We were children of wrath. We were in darkness, walking according to the own desires of our flesh. That's our past. And if you put your faith in Jesus, in the present, you live, as Ephesians tells us, with every spiritual blessing in him. And our present is good, but we have a promise. As Paul will tell, the Holy Spirit has been put inside of us as an earnest, as a deposit of our eternal future. There's a time where we will be in the presence of the living God. But just as there is a past, there is a present, and there is a promise, God has a plan. God didn't mess up when he created you. Now, some of us, when we look at our friends, we say, ah, I think God maybe had a, he messed up. <laughs> some of us, when we look in the mirror, we say God messed up. But I stand here today upon the word of God and let you know, God did not mess up. He has a plan for you. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are a part of a plan. And there's a very real enemy who wants to disrupt that plan. Not only does God have a plan for you, but he has a purpose for you. 
And that purpose mirrors the purpose of the children of Israel. The children of Israel, their purpose was hyper-focused on the land of Canaan. To be a light in the darkness. But Jesus, in the fullness of time, we are told that he expands that purpose. After his death and his resurrection, he tells the church, his disciples, small group of individuals, you've witnessed this, you've seen it, now go tell some people about it. Not just in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but unto the ends of the earth. Israel's plan was hyper-focused on Canaan, and that was going to be how God initiated the plan to get the whole world on board. But now you and I, as followers of Christ, in our presence, we have a purpose. And guess what? It's to be light in darkness. We live in a world that is hurting. And if the gospel is true, then we have hope for that hurt. And often, we just sit back and we get comfortable and we hold that hope to ourselves. Much like, using the mere fact, the children of Israel. They had a purpose. They literally were saved from the most powerful nation on the face of the earth by the creator God through massive miracles. They had that. Yet when they went to Canaan, they said, wow, these Canaanites, they got some cool customs. Let's just do what they do. And they sat idly by and they left and forgot their purpose. God is a God of pattern. I want to spend the next few moments just briefly summarizing yet again what we summarized on week one and we've touched on throughout our series. And it's this idea of the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Setting the stage for our purpose and why we do what we do. I'm going to go through this super fast because we've exhausted it many times. But sin entered the world in the garden. Adam sinned. The devil deceived him. And there were subsequent divine rebellions. Genesis chapter 6 with the watchers. Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel. From the time of the Tower of Babel and the earth being uh, given over to demonic forces uh, because people just wanted to worship their own way, uh, Israel is called and they are called to go into Canaan and to have conquest. They are God's chosen people and from this chosen people, the Messiah is to come. We see promise throughout the Old Testament that though there is evil and wickedness in the land, there is a hope and a promise for Messiah. You know the story. You've read the Gospels. The Messiah shows up as a little baby in a manger, lives a perfect life, and 33 years later gets murdered on a Roman cross by the Jewish authorities. But again, this wasn't an accident. This was God's plan. And to all other eyes, this is a crazy plan. So much so that Paul tells the church in Corinth that if the rulers of this world knew, that word rulers there in the Greek is in reference to wicked supernatural beings, if the, world, if the leaders of this world knew, they never would have crucified him. 
But the plan was crazy enough that it blinded everyone's eyes. And in Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection, he took the land deed back from the devil and said, what was once yours for 3,500 years is now mine. And the beauty is, we're called to be a part of that. There's this little event that occurred in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, all the way back in Genesis, at the Tower of Babel, when the earth is divided, as Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9 will tell us, the earth is dispersed. Languages become diverse. And the earth is given over to spiritual forces of wickedness. Remember, Israel is God's purpose, his portion, his allotment, and they are to go back in. Here's, here's the beauty of all of this. The church is born at Pentecost, and there's a reversal that occurs. And just like in Genesis chapter 11, we see the earth dispersed. Psalm 82 tells us that those wicked forces are judged, and at the resurrection, God reclaims the nations. How does he do it? He brings all language back into one. They have Pentecost. They begin to speak in tongues of foreign nations. They begin to speak in tongues of angels, all declaring the same truth. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the church is then commissioned to go into darkness. You and I are here this morning, 2,000 years later, and the mission has not changed. The mission has not changed. There is darkness, we have light. And just as Israel was on the precipice about to go into the promised land to bring light to darkness, you and I in our own lives, some of us have crossed in and we are all about sharing the gospel. Some of us are crazy, praise the Lord. Peter said we're peculiar, which is just a nice way of saying you're a weirdo, praise God. But others of us, we're timid, we're shy, and we're like the children of Israel on the precipice of living out our purpose. Now, I'm not trying to get all like self-help feel-goody saying, you got a purpose, you got a plan, it's going to be great. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. Our purpose is not to make ourselves feel good. Our purpose is not to amass wealth. Our purpose is not to succeed by the world's standards. Our purpose is to go to the gates of hell and snatch people. To go where it hurts and bring hope. To talk to our neighbor on the other side of the fence whose mom just passed away and they are in tears and share the love of Christ. We had an opportunity yesterday down at the river, Clackamas River, it's a good, good place to swim. It's also a really good place to baptize. Um, a couple young people from the church got baptized yesterday and there were people watching and uh, had the opportunity to go talk to some of the people who were watching. Uh, there was a woman who was brought to tears by the event. Um, she said it was so beautiful to see such young people making a decision to follow 
their faith. Um, and I had the opportunity to ask this woman, hey, do you, do you believe in God? And she said, I do. I do, but I've been far away from God, and I'm hurting. And uh, the Rivera family, you were all there. Ron, you were there. Um, it, it was awesome. Um, she had just lost one of her best friends the day before. And so she needed some time, some space, just to clear up her mind. While she was there at the river, on the banks of the river, clearing her mind, she found out that another one of her friends died that day. She was in a rough place. And then here we come, this group of 15 or so baptizing some kids. Um, she said, everything happens for a reason. I needed this. Josh, always ready, had some uh, hillside invite cards. We've got to pass those along. Um, but you and I, we have a, a, a purpose. And any moment is the right moment to share our faith, to extend the love of Christ, because it's real. If you have experienced, the children of Israel, they experience God in the most amazing ways. They had every reason to be like zealous for the Lord. But the Old Testament tells us it was only ever a remnant that was zealous. The nation themselves, they were crazy forgetting the past. The New Testament authors tell us that all those miracles and everything, they paled in comparison to the miracle of Messiah. So we can't sit here today and say, well, if only God showed up like a pillar of fire and turned rivers red with blood, then I'd be excited about Jesus. No. Jesus came and died a death that we deserve so that we could live a life that we never could have before and that we can have a future that is with God as opposed to being eternally separated from God. It's the greatest miracle. So we should be pretty zealous about it. I'm going to invite Reuben to come, and he's going to close us in a time of worship. But as I invite you all to stand, I'm going to trick all of you real quick. Is that okay? Um, as you stand this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as a choice, as a as a indicator that you would like to have a little more zeal in your life. You would like to have a little more passion and boldness for the things of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you would like more passion and boldness, would you join me in standing? Oh, hey, you're already there. Perfect. I want to pray for us this morning. And I'm, I, I'm purposeful in not saying I want to pray for you this morning. I'm a part of this as well. Because I think, I know a lot of you. We're weird. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, we love Jesus. And I know many of you, and I've heard the testimonies of many of you, of what God has done, what God is doing in and through you and in your life. But I know that I want to see more. I want to see more. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you join me in prayer this morning?
God, we thank you for the story of the children of Israel and their time in the wilderness and their time on the threshold of the promised land. God, we thank you for these 21 weeks of study where we've been encouraged, where we've examined the history, where we've uh, peered into the theology as we have taken life application. And God, this morning as we look at your plan, as we look at your purpose, and as we look at your pattern, you did it this way in the past and you do it similarly through us now. God, we pray that we would learn from the successes of the children of Israel, that remnant that always stood for you. God, help us learn and see and desire to be like them. God, help us learn from the mistakes of the majority. God, help us see the shortcomings and not go in the same way. But God, knowing what your plan for your people is, knowing what your purpose for each and every single one of us is, God, I pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would come upon us with boldness. God, that you would restore zeal and passion in our hearts. That we would not be like the children of Israel who just sat idly by in the land that God had promised them. A land that they only ever experienced like 30% of the promise. Because they got lazy. God, help us not only experience glimpses of the promise. Because we become complacent. But God, may we, your church, live out the mission the call that you have placed on us. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and our strength. And that God, we would love our neighbor. Bringing the gospel of the living God, the hope to a hurting world, the light to the darkness, life to death. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. God, we pray your benediction on this service. God, we thank you as we conclude our study through the book of Deuteronomy. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in the future. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.